Welcome back. We are in the book of Matthew. So if you've got your Bible with you, we're, we're going to be going to Matthew chapter 8. Easy to find. It's the first book in the New Testament. We're going through it slowly. It's one of the four uh, Gospels, the presentations of the life of Jesus uh, that we have in the Bible. And we're looking in these chapters at the, the, the deeds, the behaviors, the, the, the way of the Master, as we're calling it. There is so much to learn and so much to feast on as we investigate the, the things he did, the way he acted, the way he was with people, with individuals, with groups, the decisions he took and the way he handled situations. We're looking at them one by one and trying to draw out everything we can. So uh, we're going to look particularly today at, well, let me put it like this. If, if, if the book of Matthew was a, was a piece of music, some of you, you've, you've got used to uh, uh, sometimes a, a one piece of music particularly that's kind of stood out to you, or maybe you've got a favorite piece of music. Maybe it's a long song or a long, a long orchestral piece of music, and it, it just has a few different strains to it. Um, some, sometimes a composer or a songwriter will, will, will bring in a, a phrase that rem, sort of returns a few times in the, in the midst of the song to kind of draw your attention back to this kind of central phrase that, that's, that's part of the, the whole piece of music. But often a, a really special, uh, maybe like a symphony or something, will have, will have things that return in different tones and they, they, they come back, but they come back in a minor key or they're kind of, they're played around with. And the Gospel of Matthew is... is it's got a few kind of different strands to it, a few different uh, phrases, if you like. And if you were trying to get a feel for the story of Jesus through music, I suppose there would be some notes and some phrases that would sound really happy, really inviting, really welcoming and spacious and jolly and merry and inclusive. And it would, it would have a kind of festive feel to it. Because a lot of the Gospel of Matthew is like that, but there'd also be those sections, those phrases that, that actually sound at least a little bit more reflective, more sober, maybe even a little bit darker or sadder. And, uh, and somehow the writer kind of combines all these things into one work. And the Gospel of Matthew fits these things together in ways that we might be surprised by because you think, how can, how can the ministry, how can the message of Jesus, how can Jesus' message to the world both be fixed up with come and see and at the same time come and die? Because both are there. Both are right in the heart of Jesus' message. Jesus speaks that way to crowds and individuals. And people who are in the Jesus movement, as the, as the kind of, the movement goes viral and gets traction, as people hear about Jesus by this kind of amazing word of mouth advertising that just goes across the boundaries and, and just everywhere. People are talking about Jesus everywhere. People think, we've got to get there. We've got to get to see that. We've got to be at the next big thing. You've got to hear about this guy. Have you heard about this guy? It's just taken off. And, and, and there's places in the Gospels where even that phrase, come and see, gets used. It's, it's kind of the atmosphere, especially of the early chapters. Come and see. Come and see. You've got to see. 
But then as the, the music goes on, you hear other words coming through. Come, come and die. Come and die. And you think, how could these both coexist? But they, they do. They fit together and they actually make sense of each other. And in fact, any church, any expression of Christianity that's being true to the book, being true to, to the Lord Jesus, will contain both of those emphases. There will be in there. There will be an emphasis of come and see, an invitation and life. There'll also be an emphasis of faithfulness, even to the point of suffering, even to the point of dying. They'll both be in there. They do belong together. It's very natural and easy for churches to veer off to one side over against the other. Some churches will seem more like come and see churches. And some churches will seem more like come and die churches. And I'll leave you to guess which ones are the biggest, which ones are the most popular. And the atmosphere is different in those churches. But actually, they're both right about something. And to build church wisely and well and faithfully means somehow combining them. That's what we're trying to do, and that's what I want us to learn from this passage. So let's have it, have it read to us from the video, Matthew chapter 8. Let's follow it together. This is a reading from Matthew 8, verses 14 to 22. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfil what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful to you for the scriptures. Thank you for what they contain for us. But we say without the powerful help of the Holy Spirit, we, we will still not see your son, the Lord Jesus, in his life and power. And we, we need to know him. We need to know his love. We need to meet with him. And so we pray, send your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes. Let these words penetrate our hearts, each one. In the name of Jesus. Just pray that for yourself right now. Whenever we get into the teaching of the Bible, this is a spiritual moment. It's not a lecture. This is a moment to engage with God. Just ask him, even if you're not used to praying, just say, God, if you're real, talk to me now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so you've got here in this story a combination of healing, physical healing, with spiritual power, specifically uh, evil spirits being dealt with and sent away from people. And uh, that, that kind of language, that kind of stuff can confuse us. 
uh, even freak us out a little bit. In 21st century Brighton, we kind of think, well, that's, that's, that, just, that doesn't fit. That's not, that kind of, evil spirits and demons, that's not in my worldview. That's just crazy. And what you'll find as we go through the next few chunks of Matthew, this will come up again. So we'll talk about this more than we're going to tonight. But let me just say very simply, there's a, there's a reason surely why, when we understand the, the, the Bible as a whole, healing, physical healing, and dealing with evil, those two things fit together. They fit together because sickness, as the Bible explains, sickness has its root in evil. Sickness doesn't belong. Sickness might seem natural to us, sickness and death. They seem natural in the sense that, well, no one gets to avoid them. You know, we, don't just, we can't don't tick a box, opt out of those. They're, they're gonna happen to us all. So we, we can assume, oh, it's just natural. It's just, that's just the way it is. It's the way it's meant to be. But the Bible would say otherwise. No, it's not the way it's meant to be. Sickness and death are not the way it's meant to be. They are, they are a perversion. They're grotesque. They don't fit. They're a distortion. And the reason they're in the world at all is not because God intended initially that, you know, that by design, I, I really like sickness and death. No, it's by the human decision to invite the influence of evil into the world. Evil power, evil personality. When the Bible talks about evil, it's talking about persons. It's talking about specifically one person who comes early on in the Bible in the form of a snake into the garden of God's creation, into the place that was holy and sacred. Humanity, me and you, the human race, we, with all of our responsibility to run creation on God's behalf, what we did instead was we invited evil into the world. We invited the serpent in, effectively. And since then, we've had its influence. We've had the spin-offs of that, including sickness and death. They're not natural, they are corruptions. And so when Jesus shows up in a locality and heals the sick, he is, he is dealing with the initial curse of the first humanity. When Jesus shows up and heals all the sick, as it says here, they brought many who were sick and oppressed with evil spirits and Jesus healed them all. That in itself is striking when you consider it for a moment. It's kind of frightening how, how dramatic that must have felt to, to be in a place where that's happening. Real sick people and very visibly sick people. And there's no health service at the time, so there's no way they're going to get nicely looked after. It's like this is in your face and Jesus heals them all. That's, that's astonishing. That would have been literally scary. And yet Jesus does it. And then... The point that we're meant to get from this is that evil is being dealt with. It's combined with a dealing with evil. Because God has come into the world as humanity 2.0, as, as I sometimes call it. Some of you heard me talk like this. It's, 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 it's a kind of a way of explaining how the Bible presents Jesus' mission. Jesus comes as the last Adam, is another way of putting it, the second Adam. The first humanity in the garden failed to represent God faithfully and invited evil into the world. Jesus comes as the second man, as the, the second humanity, 2.0, and reverses the curse does things right, sets things straight. And so where he goes, 
life goes. Where he goes, healing goes. Where he goes, freedom goes. Where he goes, <laughs> the devil doesn't. You know, the powers of oppression and evil can't withstand him. He has authority over them. He hasn't abdicated his authority. He hasn't allowed the snake in. He's come to stamp on the snake's head. He's come to say, no more. That's what he's come to do. So these stories, they're not incidental. They're not kind of fluffy, marginal things in the life of Jesus. We, we think he's a great teacher, Jesus. He also, there's this weird stuff about miracles, but we ignore that because we're 21st century people. You can't do that because the miracles, the healings are at the very heart of explaining who he is. They're, they're right at the, the, the gut, the core of his mission. He's come to set the world free, to set captives free, to bring healing. And the, the Bible's teaching is that there's a day coming from the beginning to the end. The Bible teaches this story, this prediction that the story is yet to be fulfilled with God bringing healing, God bringing restoration, God setting creation right again. There's coming a day. As you read the Bible, you see it referred to in different ways. The, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. When he will bring judgment, he will set things straight and everything that's wrong will be, will be set right. He'll bring healing to creation. And this is something we yearn for. The, the Bible teaches it from cover to cover. It's kind of deeply held in the heart of humanity as well. You don't have to be a Christian to long for this. A lot of our songs and stories, they, they kind of have this flavour about them. Even our Disney movies, as kids, you know, you show, if you're a dad like me, you, you get, you know, I know the Disney movies back to front. It's just, it's just, you get used to these stories. But these stories, actually, they sort of subconsciously, they seem to spout the same story without even realising it. When Simba comes back to Pride Rock and rules rightly as the, the right king, you may remember in the film, everything changes and gets set straight. There's even a new colour scheme and the trees and the, the plants start to, to blossom again. It's like, what happened? All that happened was this, this, this new lion's kind of standing on a rock, but it's like everything's right because this king is in place. The day of the Lord, the day of the lion, if you like. Jesus comes in exactly that persona. He comes as the one who's come to, to be Lord, to have dominion, to bring the chaos back into order, to set things as they should be, including even physical sickness. Now, he hasn't done it in its fulfillment yet. The, the thing we have to also understand as we read the Bible and to understand even our own lives and your life and my life need this explanation. So listen carefully. You need this to do life wisely. Jesus has set the ball rolling. He has started initiating the kingdom. He's declared it. He's begun it. And through his own life and death and resurrection, he has utterly, he has certified it. There's no going back. He's already won the important victory. He's already done it. He's basically done it. The kingdom has come in that sense. When Jesus came preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. He meant it. There's a change. He's saying everything's going to change. Everything is going to come under dominion and authority. Everything's going to be set straight. But, but, but. There's a timing issue. 
He's set the ball rolling, but he hasn't completed it. And so we have the job as followers of Jesus of living in between the times, between the time of the announcement of the kingdom and the time of the fulfillment of the kingdom. We live between the time when, when Jesus' rule and victory is being received and experienced and enjoyed and known, but looking forward to the time when it will cover the, cover the earth, it will cover creation, and creation which even now groans and longs for, as, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8, longs for uh, things to all be restored, the restoration of all things, creation will one day itself come under the healing power of Jesus. And all those who belong to Jesus will know his healing power completely. Completely. To the point where we'll have even new bodies. There will be physical implications for what Jesus has done. He did it at the cross, but what he did at the cross through dying for us is gradually still having its outworkings years, centuries, millennia later and into the future. But there'll be a day when we'll see all things set straight. So we live in between the beginning and the fulfillment of the kingdom. Now, the reason I'm saying this is partly because we need help avoiding wrong understandings when it comes to healing. There are many who would take these uh, descriptions here of Jesus' healing ministry, and especially verses like the one where he quotes Isaiah, Matthew does here, uh, saying he took our illnesses and bore our diseases and take them to, to mean something like this. If, I, if Jesus died for my sins and I ask him to forgive me, he will forgive me right like that, just, just immediately, right? That's what we teach us. And that's correct, that's true. And it says here he died for my sicknesses as well, so presumably that means that... I should always be healed. And there's no such thing as a Christian being sick, or there at least there shouldn't be. Christians should never be ill because, well, he took up our infirmities. He took up our diseases. And so it's wrong for a Christian to be ill. In fact, if you're ill, it means you haven't believed properly. You haven't got proper faith. You need to believe. And then, and then you'll receive immediately, as we should all, always live in the good of this Complete healing that's available to every Christian. There should be no such thing as a sick Christian. Well, I guess I can see the logic in that teaching, but it's a very thin grasp on what the whole Bible is teaching. And importantly, it's missed the point that we were saying just now in that we live in between the stages. Every time Jesus healed somebody, even every time Jesus heals a whole village... (laughs) It's still just a pointer to the greater healing that is to come. Even the times when he rose people from the dead, it's still a pointer to a greater resurrection still to come. Because Lazarus, for example, some of you know the story from John's Gospel, Lazarus, his friend, dies, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus still died again. Lazarus had two funerals, lucky man. Jesus, Jesus raises him, but Lazarus is still going to get sick. But there's a promise all through Scripture of a future resurrection from which Lazarus will not deteriorate. He will stay raised forever at the final resurrection. And so will you if you belong to Jesus. Because it will be permanent. It will be permanent. Any healing we receive in this age, I'm afraid it's not permanent. 
Bible says, it's, you know, Paul speaks about it to the Corinthians. You know, out, inwardly, we are being renewed every day. Outwardly, we're wasting away. And trust me, I'm in my 40s. I know this is true. <laughs> it's definitely true. You know, this physical body, it will gradually succumb to ailments. And I can't just banish them by saying, I will not be sick. I am a Christian. It doesn't work like that. And so, so people get a bit tied up and wonder why there are places in the Bible where, for example, Paul says to Timothy, take some wine for your stomach's sake. In other words, Timothy, you get ill, you get frequently ill, you need to just, you know, need to medicate more carefully. He doesn't say, Timothy, why are you ill? You're a Christian, you shouldn't be ill. In fact, there's places in Scripture that are hard to explain if we, if we hold to this over-extreme over teaching. Paul himself seems to talk about an ailment, and maybe it's not physical, but it seems to me it probably is. In 2 Corinthians, he says, I asked the Lord to heal me or take this away from me three times, but he didn't. He didn't. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, in this season, in this in-between, the announcement of the kingdom and the fulfillment of the kingdom, there are even ways in which God will use our suffering, even our illness, it would seem, to train us, to help us. So we, we've no place, no right to build up a theology of no sickness, no sickness, no sickness. It can actually create an environment of unreality, pressure, people feeling guilty for feeling ill. It's not good. Don't go there. But, okay, quick, we, we could fall off the horse on that side, but let's not fall off the horse on the other either, because it's also just as possible and just as wrong to take from this teaching about the kingdom yet to come in its fullness the idea that therefore we should not expect healing now. See, that's what, it's, it's, it's weird, isn't it? The church is full of fantastic random extremes. People, people will get it wrong in some direction. And people will get into this. So, yeah, well, healing is a little bit sort of over the top. We shouldn't expect healing now. Healing is to come, and therefore, don't get carried away. Don't, don't pray for the sick. Don't be silly. And don't expect them to get healed if you do. Pray for the sick, but don't expect anything. <laughs> don't pray as if God does heal now. Well, again, that does not fit with the Bible at all. It just, and it's crazy. There's no way you could read this book honestly and, and get the impression that God doesn't want us to pray confidently for healing. Because if, if the kingdom has to come in the future... Maybe that does mean we need to be patient for its fullness, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't be praying every day, your kingdom come. In other words, let's have some kingdom now. Let's have the signs of the coming age. Let it break in now. Let us know more of the future in the present. That's the atmosphere, in fact, of the New Testament. It's the, it's the kingdom is breaking in, not in fullness, but it's breaking in nevertheless. Let's pray for more healing. And let's be confident that God loves to heal. We can't control him, but we can expect him to answer prayers and be good in ways that amaze us. And you might say, well, give me an example. Okay, I'll give you an example recently. In fact, I'll give you an example from this week, just so you know that this isn't theory. This works, this happens. And I'll tell you what, you might say, well, for an example from another country. Okay, give me an example from China. I'm sure that'll be really trustworthy. Okay, I'll give you an example from my family, all right? This is just this week. This is my mum on WhatsApp, all right? That's all it is. And I didn't say, mum, make up a story for my sermon on Sunday. Uh, she, she just sent this out to the family WhatsApp thing. But I thought I'd share it with you. I asked permission. She says this about one of uh, my uncles. <clears throat> Tony was found to have cancer on his liver before Christmas. I told him he must have major surgery, but he also has a heart condition, which made it very risky. They kept praying, and their church prayed. 
Then two or three weeks ago, he had another scan. The tumors had shrunk so much he didn't need surgery. The doctors were very surprised. They were able to inject chemo directly into them by local anesthetic and blitz them. He is really well now. Then, Sunday night, so this is last, last week on Sunday, David, one of my mum's other brothers-in-law, one of my other uncles, husband to another sister of my mother's, was admitted to... Oh, sorry, I read it after I explained it, just how much information. So let me explain this even more. She has sisters... And they have husbands. One of them is called Tony. He's the guy that got healed. This is the other one, called David. Her, his wife's called Jo. Okay? <laughs> they live in the Northwest. They live near Manchester, if you want more information. If you feel free to email me for further details. <laughs> David was admitted to hospital in severe pain and thought to have a major obstruction in the bowel. He was scheduled for major surgery on Sunday night, possibly a colostomy, as the scan showed a mass in the intestine. It was postponed for lack of anaesthetist. Next morning, he was again prepared for surgery. The doctor thought they should do a colonoscopy first. Joe went off and prayed again that God would make these two delays work for good. The doctor came back to report, no mass was found, no obstruction, the tumour or infection. Joe says, this is David's wife, they don't know what happened. They had been warned he might have had to have a colostomy instead of which he's coming home with no surgery. So they just vivid, really recent, really uh, close-up examples just from, from my family. I mean, if that's, what about other families in the church? What about how many multiple similar examples there might be? I'm saying it to say these, these things do continue, and we should pray and expect. I'm praying that people will be healed before they leave this room today because Jesus is alive, and he is real. You may have never thought of it like that, got two uncles seem to be healed from cancer just this last few days. I think he's real. I think that's just a, one example why I think he's real. It's like a sand grain amongst the beach, but it's still significant. And I, I would ask you to be prayerful for yourself, maybe. Prayerful for someone else near you. Maybe God wants to do something in your life. But, but before I finish, and let me move, move on to to just apply this in a different way because there's something about this story that we read that you need to hear. And I, I want to just ask you to follow me here as we, as we get into the rest of what, what this story describes. Because, because you've you got here an example of the authority of Jesus, just the power of his healing miracles. But you've also got his authority shown in the way he deals with two people. So these two individuals that are, are uh, approaching him uh, at this point, they, they're presumably attracted to the crowds. You know, Jesus, it says in verse 18, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. He's like, okay, I can see that I've started something here. <laughs> There's a lot of people pushing in. It's getting a bit crowded. I'm going to go over to the other side of the lake now. So I'm just going to go with, with my disciples now. Uh, I'm going to leave the crowds and just get some time with the 12. Or just, you know, the, the small number of disciples I've chosen to be with me. And then there's a couple of people that sort of push through the crowd to say, yeah, but we'd like to come too. Could we come. We're interested. We, we want to go further with you. We've, we've, you know, we've, we've looked into your work. We've been on your YouTube channel. We've, we've downloaded your book. We're interested. 
And Jesus responds in such a surprising way. Perhaps the most striking is the second of the two, where the guy's saying, yeah, I want to come, but uh, first I just need to bury my father. And Jesus' response, it seems really peculiar. Let the dead bury their dead. You follow me. Don't, don't worry about that. I've got to bury my father would seem an appropriate qualification. You know, it's like, yeah, that's a good writer. I think, okay, don't, I don't want to be insensitive. You go bury your dad. What's going on here? What is Jesus like? I think what we've got to see here is that we have someone with extraordinary authority such that he has authority over sickness and death. But because of that, he also has authority over every one of us and over everything that we think is more important than him. He has that much authority. He, he is not impressed by our sense of priority. He's not intimidated. He doesn't feel obliged to fit in with our agenda. Imagine if you, you, you had some burglars in your house and you, you tried to solve the problem by inviting a lion into the house. You, you'd certainly get results. It's unconventional, but it would probably work. Problem is, when it's worked, when you've dealt with the initial problem, you've got a new problem. You've got a lion in your house. Jesus in the Bible is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus, when he shows up in our lives, he shows up with authority. He shows up with purpose, with intentionality. He is on a mission. And, and we, we have to accept this Jesus as the real one or we're not really accepting him at all. He either comes in as a lion or he doesn't come. So we, we have to take him on his terms, not ours. We have to learn to allow him to set the pace Make the calls. And, and following Jesus can begin with the come and see. I'm drawn. I'm attracted. I've seen something extraordinary about you. But it needs to go further than, than allowing the, the niceness of Jesus on the margins of our lives while really saying to him that every time he makes a demand on us, he has to wait. That's what these guys are really saying. They're saying, Jesus, we really like you. And, and this whole kingdom thing you're talking about, we like, yeah, good. I like this kingdom message. We, we need the kingdom of God. It's good. It's a good thing. In our, we, bring it on. We like the kingdom of God. It's good. I, I like your kingdom. I've got a few things to handle in my kingdom right now. And my kingdom obviously needs to take priority over your kingdom. Um, but hang around. Just wait by the phone and I, I, I'm pretty sure I'll be back soon. So just to hold on, okay, my kingdom, kind of important. That's the feel. And by the way, when the guy says, I've got to go and bury my father, it's probably not that like there's a hearse outside and he's got the black tie on and someone's making potato salad for the wake and it's all happening that afternoon. In fact, it's probably true that his father's not even dead. What it means most likely is that he's waiting for the opportune moment because he's expecting to 
you know, to get a big inheritance, bumper inheritance. He's, 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 he's got his life fixed. He's, he's got a plan and it's sort of working. He's started to fix his life up and it's, I think I'm getting into some traction. I think I'm in the sweet spot. I think it's working. And I, all I need now is to bury my dad. And it's, I think, I, I think I've, I've got myself coming. And Jesus, I'm interested in joining you, but probably you want me around when I've kind of able to bring some cash with me, right? I could help keep the movement greased. So just, you know, just wait. And this is the way we are with Jesus, right? This is the way we are. I, I, I've lost count. I, I must have lost count years ago of the number of conversations I've had in this room with people who come up to me after a sermon and said, wow, what you said just then really spoke to me and I, I, I know that I've got to change my life. I know that I need, to, I need to take this seriously. I know that I need to follow God. I know that I need to let go of some things and choose Jesus and, and just, just trust him. I've got to trust him. And I'm like, okay, let's talk. Let's pray. Let's, let's work this out. And, and I've said, right, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What's the plan? When are you going to do it? Are you going to do it now? And, and in a horrible way, the conversation has just taken a nasty turn where it's like, well, I, I, I kind of feel like I don't need to do anything now. I don't really need to decide anything. I, just, I think I just need to, I think I do need to fix this relationship myself first. I, I think I don't need to quit that relationship. I don't, I don't think I need to do this career. I don't think I need to make that decision really. I, I think I got a bit excited and maybe I just, maybe, maybe it would be a bit foolish. Maybe, maybe, and what they're doing is they're talking themselves into distrust. And it's peculiar how it happens. It just, it, it just happens too often, not just in this room, but just as a pastor, just as a Christian, I just, you will have had the same. You just, you just feel like you're kind of, there's a, there's a situation where someone's on the edge of making a decision of trust. Okay, I think I should get baptized one day, but you know, I just I'm waiting for the real moment when it seems opportune. Or you know, I think I should become a Christian. I should follow Jesus probably, but I think I just need to sort it all out. I think I need to exp sort of explain it all. I need to. There's more to be understood. I think I need to investigate more things. I, and 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 there are so many ways in which we we effectively we're saying to Jesus, "My kingdom first, your kingdom important, sure." But mind, mind first. And what it means, surely, is, is that this, this gentleman, he, he is, you know, kind of impressive on one level, it would seem. You know, he's a scribe. I can imagine the disciples a bit like, yeah, give him some space on the boat. It, he's a scribe. None of us are scribes. We're fishermen. We're not even very good at that. And he's like a scribe. He's, he's clever. He's, he's a high up person from down south. He... he got some kudos and, and some clout. We need guys like that. And it would have been tempting to just kind of, yeah, just lower the bar, just let the guy in, make space. Jesus, I guess, is saying to him, yeah, there's space on the boat. You know, budge up, Andrew. Yeah, this guy, he could, you could join us. But you need to know, the son of man has no place to lay his head. You know, foxes have holes, birds have nests. The son of man, nowhere to lay his head. 
So the scribe's got to think, okay, I, I was excited about you because I saw your, you know, your, your name in lights and I'm, I'm inspired, I like the idea, I'm, I get the vibe, I get the, the, the hype and the thrill. But now you're saying that you haven't got any accommodation plan. You don't know where we're going to be sleeping tomorrow night, right? Is that what you really, do you mean that? Yeah, yeah, I mean that. Really? You don't know? Yeah, well, I'm kind of a homeless guy, really. We just, we, we take what God provides. You, you must be panicking. No, I'm fine. You must be a bit anxious. No, I'm really not. I'm fine. I, I, my father looks after me. Are your disciples anxious? Yes, they do get anxious. <laughs> I'm training them not to, though. I'm helping them. They're learning not to. And you'll learn as well if you come with me. You'll learn. You'll have to learn. You'll have to learn to trust me. You'll have to learn to not have all the answers, all the boxes ticked. You'll have to just trust me. You'll have to learn that. And for this scribe, that's not enough. You see, he hasn't really seen Jesus. Come and see, come and die. The sequence is important. You need to see him first and really see him. And I don't mean be in the crowd. You can be in the crowd and not see Jesus, not see who he is. Not really. That's why this guy says, teacher. Did you notice that? That's how he addresses him. Teacher, I'll follow you anywhere. It's a big claim. I'll follow you anywhere. But he doesn't even know who he is. No, we won't follow. Just because the guy's got a book on the Sunday Times list or a big YouTube channel, doesn't mean you follow him everywhere. Not the way Jesus wants you to follow him. No accommodation plan? Still going to follow me? I'm going to get crucified. You still going to follow me? No! No, 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 really. I don't want to get, I don't want to take up my cross. No. And frankly, neither would I, right? Neither would you. Be real. You know, who, who would want to, who would follow someone that say, well, I offer you homeless, we're going to sleep rough and then we're going to get killed. Come with me. There's room on the boat. Come on, let's go off to certain death and misery. Mm. I, li- I liked the, the kind of, you looked good for a while. But he hasn't seen him. He hasn't seen the guy who's saying it. He says, teacher. Remember the leper? What did he say? Lord. Remember the centurion? This is from the last couple of weeks. What did he say? Lord. They saw who he is. They saw behind the homelessness. They saw behind the unpredictability. They saw behind the, you know, the, the roughness, the, the, the interestingness of what they saw that Jesus is Lord. So they, they, they've understood something that Jesus is determined to teach all of his followers and all of God's children. They understood that he has capacity to give every one of us everything we need. Everything we need. We sang it earlier in that first song. Second song. In, in my father's house, there's a place for me. 
There's a place for me. That's, that's Jesus' own teaching. John chapter 14. Don't be afraid. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. What are you saying, Jesus? One minute you're saying, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Next minute you're saying, in my Father's house, there's plenty of room. I don't, which one's true? They're both true. They're both true. Get used to it. I don't, I don't know what you're going to do with me. If I follow you, I honestly don't know what you're going to do with my life. I don't know if you're going to let me keep my money. I don't know who I'm going to marry. I don't, I don't know anything. I just, I don't know. And for many of us, that's terrifying. Right? Because it could only be bad. If I don't get to choose who I marry, he'll make me marry someone deeply unattractive to me. <laughs> if I don't get to choose how much money I keep, and I was going to be miserable. If I don't get to, if I don't get to call the shots, if I don't get to do the burials and the, you know, set, the t- set the pace, I'm making the plan. I got the steering wheel. It's my call. If I don't get to do that, this, this is bad. Where does that idea come from? Where do you get that from? That comes from a snake. Jesus says, don't be afraid. <laughs> I don't know where we're going to sleep, but I tell you this, my father owns every hotel in the world. I, I don't know. I don't know. Every, I can't give you all the answers right now. Have you seen how good Jesus is? Some of you are battling in decision land right now over things, whether even to become a Christian, some of you today. Because you, you assume that following Jesus is just dark. Some of you, it's, you became a Christian years ago. It's not about that right now. It's about giving something up. It's about finishing something. It's about starting something that scares you. It's about the gift day next week. I don't know. And it's, it's frightening you. And you've got to get persuaded in your heart He's, he's no ordinary teacher. He's, he's the Lord. And he's the son of man that has no place to lay his head. Even foxes, even animals, they get... And he's, why is it like this? Well, because God came into the world in disguise. The son of man, the judge of everything. This son of man means the one with great authority over everything. Nowhere to lay his head. He's, he's, he's hidden his glory, if you like. So that we, we won't be just kind of, just inspired by the crowds. Come and see glamour, fleshly, worldly power. No, we have to look closer. We have to look and see him the way he is with the widow, the way he is with the orphan, the way he is with the leper. We look closer, we see you are no ordinary man. You, you care for people like no one has ever cared for anybody. And so I trust you. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him? Have you seen how trustworthy he is? That's the fight of your life. Being persuaded in your heart, Jesus can be trusted. He can be trusted. He's got room for me. He's got space for me. He's made space for me. He says, I've got nowhere to lay my head. Isn't it interesting that John writes his gospel 
and says, I laid my head on my friend Jesus' shoulder. At the Last Supper, the tightest, hardest moment of Jesus' life, what's he doing? He's making space for other people. He's saying, lay your head on my chest, my friend. I'll carry you. If, if I follow you, Jesus, what are you going to do with me? What are you going to do? He's going to carry you. You've got nowhere to lay my... I don't, what, what's going to happen to me? Are you trusting yourself? I might die if I follow Jesus. You're going to die anyway. You are. I get to die in him. I get to die belonging to him. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. There's, there's, there's no... There's no fear we can have that overwhelms his promise to you. And the Holy Spirit wants to persuade you of that today. Let's just pray. Father, we want to learn to come and die gladly. We thank you that this, this phrase in the symphony, this phrase in the music is not actually a sad one, ultimately. <laughs> thank you that the music ends with a glorious finale. We thank you, even our sorrows are carried by our Saviour. So teach us to trust you, gladly, patiently, confidently, because you are so good. When you're ready, come to the table as we stand to worship. We've got bread and wine at the table. If you belong to Jesus, if you're a Christian, come and take bread and wine and celebrate his gift to you of himself. And if you're not yet a Christian, or maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian, don't take the bread and wine yet. We would love to help you. And there'll be an opportunity before we finish the meeting for you to make that step. But let's otherwise all stand together and uh, let's worship God.